The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Hells fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are back with the OGs. First up, Editor-in-Chief, the man whose article has 500 likes, and uh, he's one of my two dates to Las Vegas, Mr. Ali Cosell. How was Cincy, sir? How you doing, Preston? That was hot. Can you believe it? I thought I'd escape the New Orleans heat, and all I got was 93 degrees in humidity. Really? In Cincinnati? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, apparently they're supposed to be like, I, I don't know, the, the harshest storm season in history because of all the, the heat in the Gulf right now. So we've got a lot of fun things coming. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Also joining us, the man who's been killing it with his latest two articles. Uh, He's got one up today, continuing his idea of that DeMarcus Cousins sign and trade with Washington and extending it to the Memphis Grizzlies, Mr. Kevin Berrios. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I'm doing pretty well. I'm off of work now, so I'm doing much better than I was a couple of hours ago. Yeah, I bet. You had a long day today. Tell us a bit about that article, Kevin. Um, well, um, I, as I spoke with you last time um, about, uh, I did a sign-and-trade article proposing Boogie to the Wizards for uh, Kelly Oubre, Thomas Sadoransky, um, Morshan Gortat, and Jason Smith, and then um, and then there was other things involved, like we sent Gortat to Orlando and got Jonathan Simmons and other parts back, and then you know built the roster completely around. It wasn't just the sign and trade piece; it was like how to build. Um, and then the other day, uh, I was about to get back onto writing the next part, which was going to be what it would be like if we retained Boogie and how to build around that. Um, but I got sidetracked with a thought um, of what if we sent all these expirings that we have plus Solomon Hill and Etwan Moore to um, the Memphis Grizzlies to acquire Marcus All and um, Mike Conley um, to build more of a super team. And we were able to keep Miritich and that all the money worked. So it would just be a matter of if they were happy with draft, comp- if they could agree on draft compensation. Um, but then you would have, you know, what I think is one of them would be what Steph and Clay are to shooting in the backcourt that whatever that equivalent of that is on the defensive end with uh, Conley and Holiday. And then you would have, you know, a lot of parts there already, you know, like 10 very good players. Plus, you know, you fill the rest out with guys that are looking for proven deals or ring chasers, you know, um, seasoned veterans that, uh, you could rely on, I think, you know, it would be a luxury tax team, of course, um, because the salaries would be so high. But I can see Memphis wanting to move on from uh, those guys and trying to dump Chandler Parsons as well. Just start over with a clean slate because they really don't have um, a way to really compete for a championship yet. Um, and this could be a way for them to get out of all that money, um, even though, you know, it's probably a tough decision to move on from Marcus Hall since he's such a fixture in that in Memphis and on that team. 
Now, Holly, what did you think about his trade and how realistic do you think it is? Well, I, I you know, from a, just a theoretical standpoint, I love it. How can you not love adding like two stars, two vets, two proven winners to um, the Pelicans core? Um, but then again, you know, one thing I got to mention, well, two things I got to mention. What's funny is on Twitter, we were talking, I was talking to Kevin about this earlier was a lot of people on social, social media liked it. But if you look at the comments underneath the article on SB nation, I think what 75, 80% hate it. <laughs> they, they think the guys are too old, too broken down, too past their prime, I guess, to uh, go that Avenue. So I found that a little surprising. Uh, well, I mean, but the other thing I want to mention today, something I noticed is I think the Memphis general manager, or was it the owner? One of the two, said the uh, Grizzlies are committed to winning this season. So I found that kind of surprising. So obviously that would kill all chances of this type of trade. Right. I mean, and this type of trade is super hard anyway. It's more of a speculation thing. I don't think it's, like I said, even the initial sign and trade part of it is very unlikely just because of the hoops you got to jump through. This is just looking at different scenarios of if one thing happens, what other ways can you add to this team? And that is one way. Um, but yeah, like, and I understand those fans that are like, those guys are old and expensive. Um, my thoughts on it are just, you know, you have this short window where you could really, if you really want to compete against this golden state team, um, then you have to strike on a deal like this and sort of gamble. Um, but you know, it's a team that's very deep and it's a team that offers a lot of versatility and a lot of length and I, and, you know, IQ and shooting and defense. So I think if there's a way to go, this is one that you could definitely see if everybody stays healthy, which there's no gamble. I mean, there's no guarantee of that. It's definitely a gamble that, um, you know, it could make some noise in the West for sure. Now, the reason this is interesting to me is because obviously Mike Conley, and he's 30 years old, by the way, Marcus Saul. The reason why this is interesting to me is because next year, the Memphis Grizzlies uh, first round pick is top eight protected if it falls outside of the top eight, it goes to Boston. So what exactly are the Grizzlies playing for right now? They've got Chandler Parsons at two years left, $50 million. There's just not a realistic path to them contending at this point. Of course, they do have a top five pick, but that's all the more reason to kind of cut times with some of these veterans who are carrying these high five-year $150 million price tags while they can get some picks for them and begin the reinvention of this roster. And this is the perfect time to do it. So it certainly makes sense to me, but it's also something that could be revisited uh, somewhere down the line near the trade deadline. If this team is say, you know, 20 and 30 at the, at that time, it might be a, a better instance for the Pelicans to send out uh, some version of, I, I don't even know if they would do it at that point, but matching salary for Mike Conley would be difficult because he is making 30 million a year, but I'm sure they could find a way if they wanted to with, Solomon Hill, Alexis Agensa, and then you would just have to choose between probably Etwan Moore and Nikola Meritich to tie to them. Um, and that might be all it takes at that point because that would give them some kind of relief. Anyway, uh, we'll move along with this. We've got some questions, and pretty much all of them are tied to LeBron James because there's been a lot of chatter. Even ESPN is talking about the Pelicans at this point on the getup with Mike Greeny and uh, Jalen Rose, uh, as well as others. This question is from Waka Waka Wakanda Ali. He said, how fun is this LeBron to Nola talk? I'm a realist and I know it won't happen, but the fact that the Pelicans Twitter is having this much fun with it speaks volume of how far we've come this past season. What's your response to that, Ali? He's 100% right. The best player in the game is who? It's LeBron James. And suddenly there's even just talk of LeBron James coming here to New Orleans where, you know, year after year, what have we heard from all the national media? Blow it up, fire Dell, you know, start over, this and that. I mean, ever since Chris Paul really left, it's just been outside of that one playoff season, it's just been disappointment, despair. You know, go ahead and look up the uh, dictionary, any kind of words that rhyme or synonymous with any of the ones I just mentioned. So to have this sudden 180, it seems like. Remember last offseason, guys, people still weren't buying New Orleans as a playoff team. Um, even though a lot of us locally were, but nobody else was, despite the fact we had, you know, Boogie joining AD and Drew Holiday under a full offseason of workouts. So, yeah, I think it's outstanding. I hope it continues. But, of course, for the only way for it to continue is if the Pelicans, you know, have another fine season, turn in another good playoff run. Um, but, you know, before we get to that, though, yeah, let's talk LeBron. But, I mean, I don't know how much we can say because, honestly, I don't think he's on our short list. Everything we've heard in the media, and I guess this is what we really need to talk about, is it sounds like he's really wanting to put his family first. And when you just think and consider what New Orleans is, what it represents, 
and how LeBron or his wife, nobody's got ties uh, to this city, then it just doesn't really look good, does it, huh? No, logistically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, And there have been continuous rumors of LeBron seeking out schools in both Philadelphia and more recently in Los Angeles. Gary Payton uh, reported to someone, I'll look it up while Kevin talks, but reported that uh, LeBron James had just enrolled his eldest son at a high school there. Uh, So everything seems to indicate that it's probably between Cleveland and L.A. I have no idea why he'd want to leave the Eastern Conference at this point. I think Philadelphia is is a better possibility than Los Angeles. Los Angeles, he can assemble his own super team and they can offload some of those assets to get pretty much any player he wants. But then he's directly in line with, you know, the Golden State Warriors, the Houston Rockets, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Denver Nuggets, the Minnesota Timberwolves. I just don't see why anybody would want to do that beyond just to grow his brand. But I think he's got a couple of great years left where he could continually make the finals. He could put on some kind of staggering run of potentially 12 straight finals if he just stayed in the Eastern Conference. So, But with that being said, Kevin, his shortlist right now is Philly, uh, Cleveland, and Los Angeles. How big do you think it would be for the city of New Orleans if he even met with Del Demps and Alvin Gentry? Oh, it'd be huge. I mean, look, every year we're we're having every fan base, every writer and every fan base and all the national media um, put our superstar in a trade, getting him out of town because of, you know, he, we don't deserve him or whatever that is. And now everybody's trying to send us the greatest player in the league. Um, so that's a total shift and that's you know huge for this city for this basketball brand and um you know just a huge acknowledgement to the to the job that Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry have done this year that um you know that it's being talked about that it's being considered a very logical spot for him to go if he wants to keep competing for championships and I don't think that he doesn't necessarily doesn't want to keep competing for championships but I would see a move to LA as being a move for after basketball it's it's more of a life move and sure he's going to do what he can to try to build a super team there but i think that that would signify that it's like that is secondary to life after basketball and life in general um now of course you know we look at it now he could maybe possibly get you know paul george over there with him and maybe that would be enough to compete, but I don't necessarily think so. But also, if he's there, he can just sort of wait out the Golden State Warriors a little bit. We're already starting to see Draymond rumble a little bit about contract situations. So if you wait long enough and you do build somewhat of a super team, then he may be able to squeeze out another championship or at least a Western Eastern, uh, Western Conference championship, sorry, um, before he retires. But yeah, I would. I don't think that's the priority anymore. Yeah, I'm with Kevin, and I think this deserves mention, Preston, is all of us, when this news first came up, LeBron, likely leaving Cleveland, all of us assumed that he wants to go to the best team to, you know, build and work on his legacy, to win as many championships as he could, to, you know, at least hit five as many as Kobe, or maybe, you know, if things worked out, get to that elusive number of six and tie Michael Jordan. Um, but, you know, recent comments seem to indicate just the opposite. You know, for instance, Dwayne Wade, when he was asked his opinion, he thought that LeBron would make a decision based on non-basketball reasons. Um, And then when you tie it in with LeBron owns not one but two homes in L.A. And, of course, Preston, what you mentioned about the kid. Now, there's some discrepancy whether he actually got enrolled because after Gary Payton, you know, went ahead and told the world that he was enrolled there. I remember reading like a few hours later, some school official from that school uh, refuted that claim. So who knows whether that's true or not. But. I, I just get the sense that LeBron honestly may not be looking at trying to, you know, just as Kevin was just talking about shooting for championships, shooting for glory, let the end all be all be ending up on, on the best team to uh, keep adding to his already impressive tally of records and trophies and awards and whatever else. Um, so I think that's what I think we've got to really look at now. So really doesn't that open it up the field now even more so because uh, for, for me personally, I think that San Antonio Spurs is my favorite choice for him to land at, you know, the best coach, uh, the best player, they team up, they keep Kawhi Leonard. And we know how both of both the player and the coach there were, you know, they have the high, the, they hold each other with the highest regard. So that's, that's the destination I would like to see LeBron end up in, of course, if it's not New Orleans, but I don't know. I think this, it's very likely that he's going to go to the Lakers and he's not going to so much look at, as the team, when they can win. Um, I think that's become secondary, as Kevin was just kind of talking about. 
Yeah, it, it is interesting. San Antonio, they have that relationship when Greg Popovich's wife passed away, of course. Uh, they they shared a nice moment together uh, exchanging. It is clear uh, the, the level of respect the two have for each other. But like the Houston Rockets and like the New Orleans Pelicans, in order for the San Antonio Spurs to make that work, it would take offloading of significant salary. They still have to try to potentially bring a couple of guys back like Kyle Anderson and Danny Green. In addition to that, they have pretty big exorbitant contracts in the form of Pau Gasol and the Marcus Aldridge who combine – for, or, for over $40 million, uh, just between the two of them. And, of course, Kawhi Leonard this year is eligible for that five-year Supermax $220 million extension. So it's definitely another dark horse possibility, specifically with Kawhi and Greg Popovich. But like everybody else in the league, money is tight right now, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see the mechanics of making that work. Let's continue with this line, but let's start shifting away from it. And I'll start this with Kevin. Uh, this is something I wrote about on the OTG Basketball Network. Just uh, DeMarcus Cousins needing to remain patient uh, at this point in the offseason, because even though we've got a lot of big names floating out there like Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, um, Paul George, DeMarcus Cousins, these big name free agents, a lot of their conversations with teams are going to screech to a halt while LeBron kind of assesses the situation and feels out where he wants to go. This question is from our good friend Mal. Mal Ralph Malbro, I'm so sorry, Ralph, but you know what? This pays me back for the time that you butchered my name uh, of Saints Forecast and Saints Happy Hour Podcast. Uh, will anything happen in free agency for any team before LeBron decides where he's going? What do you think, Kevin? I mean, he definitely has that impact where he's going to hold up a lot of decisions. But really, like we talked about, there's basically three or four destinations, um, and that's all you're going to be. Uh, that are really going to be held up. And um, even like, say a guy like Paul George, those destinations are also kind of destinations for him. So those are just sort of um, moving parts that are like working against each other. Everything else I think will move. I mean, there's, I think this free agency period is going to be a weird one because there's not a lot of money to spend. Um, uh, So you're going to see more like mid-level guys and low-level guys jump on to try to grab some money um, knowing that everybody's like waiting out LeBron and try to, uh, you know, get stuff from the teams that know they're out of that running and, uh, you know, try to have a bidding ward there instead of being fallback guys once all the money's dried up and, um, you know, trying to catch on then. All right, Ollie, continue that line of thinking. Kevin just mentioned that, that some of the suitors, the major suitors, uh, are those three teams, but there are some other uh, potential dark horse, dark horse candidates. And among those, some of those uh, people are also cha- uh, chasing players like Julius Randle, like Paul George. So if Paul George and Julius Randle are waiting to hear on what the Los Angeles Lakers plan to do with LeBron James, does that seemingly like halt everything uh, around the association by osmosis? My guess, actually, guys, is that LeBron may even already know where he's going and people closest to him know. I've heard certain rumors out there, like, for instance, was it Shaq's son? And there's maybe an agent here or there. There's been people that have alluded to the fact that they know where LeBron's going. So if that's the case, he's not going to hold up really anything because, you know, everybody works behind the scenes, even though you're not supposed to start until July, everybody knows, yada, yada, yada. But unless you get really caught red-handed, these teams, these players and these agents, they're always talking. So they kind of know what's going to happen ahead of time. Uh, And it's not just for this upcoming season, but in years past, uh, the free agent period. So, I have a feeling that LeBron's going to – the decision's going to come pretty soon. It's not going to be anything that's going to be long drawn out, you know, getting serenaded from team to team, city to city for like a week or so period. I honestly think he'll make his decision because if he's already talked about his family, his family doesn't need to travel all these cities. They know where they want to live. Um, they've grown up kind of privileged. They've, they've traveled well. They know they know exactly where their hearts are. So I have a feeling LeBron's going to make that decision soon, Preston. And if he hasn't already, and then therefore all the other dominoes will fall pretty quickly. So nobody's, I don't expect anybody to be held up. So no, short answer, no. I I agree with that too. Like, I think he knows where he's going. And then it's just, once he says where he's going to go, that it's going to, you know, the obstacles of that present itself will always clear themselves for this player to move where he wants to go. Um, it's going to happen. Um, and then, I don't know if you guys have listened to the latest of, I think it was the latest Bill Simmons podcast I was to the other day. He was sort of hinting like he had knowledge, although he coyly tried to play off that he didn't have knowledge that LeBron is going to be filming a documentary about his free agency choice. 
So, I mean, I think it's probably all on play and it's already mapped out and it's scripted and then that we'll, we'll get that eventually, um, you know. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to hold up much. Yeah, he's alluded to that twice uh, on his more recent podcast and also on the NBA Ringer show. So you might be on to something there. LeBron's decision might come a bit sooner than we all think it will. Wouldn't that be something if at 12.01 a.m. on the night of july 1st uh, a documentary is launched on on netflix or on the espn network i guess it would be uh so let's let's continue on with that because obviously there's been a lot of talk about demarcus cousins and the three different paths the pelicans could take with him either re-signing him signing and trading him or just letting him walk in general and this question from tim w uh, regards that latest option he says if boogie walks what options do the pelicans realistically have to fill all those minutes logged in the post we can't sustain AD and Nicola playing postseason minutes for an entire regular season. Uh, I'm going to throw this to Ali first. Of course, Mecca Okafor uh, started probably about 20 games with the Pelicans, playing 16 minutes, uh, basically just starting off the game while Anthony Davis uh, and Nikola Miritic kind of split duties at the five with Czech Diallo. But there's also a lot of guys available if the Pelicans needed to go out there and find somebody, Aaron Baines, Alex Len, Dwayne Dedman, Costa Kufos, Marcin Gortat, Nikola Vucevic, who can be had uh, relatively cheap, cheaply. And Ali, before you talk about what the Pelicans would do with that five position and kind of help out Nikola and AD there, talk about the Pelicans cap situation right now. Okay, well, heading into uh, this summer, we're expecting a cap of uh, $101 million. And the Pelicans have committed in contracts roughly around $93 million. So, in essence, they could conceivably have $8 million in cap space, but that's never going to happen. Because for that to happen, they would have to uh, renounce all their cap holds, kiss all their trade exceptions goodbye. Um, and, you know, th- those are some potent, you know, things that Dell likes to keep in his back pocket as an easy way to fill up a roster when you're kind of tight with money when you're up against, say, a luxury cap or excuse me, a luxury tax. So I fully expect the Pelicans not to go that route. So if, if the Marcus doesn't obviously uh, resign with the team and walks, then the Pelicans, it's going to be awfully hard to rebuild, you know, fill those shoes and rebuild the team kind of trying to find that talent or replace that talent. Now, one good thing, the only good thing I, I guess I can say about this is the fact that, you know what, there's not a demand anymore for centers, the big guys, you know, the way this uh, league has shifted completely towards small ball, where, you know, you're having Draymond Green um, play center and a lot of other teams have adopted a similar philosophy for where even, you know, for let's say 20 minutes of the game, they're going really small by putting a, a just a, like a small power forward by yesterday's standards at center. Uh, you know, th- that's in vogue now. So you're going to have guys like Greg Monroe probably swimming out there. Brooke Lopez, um, you know, I don't like, I don't like Nerlens Noel, but I'll throw his name out there. As, as you've mentioned, Preston, I guess Dwayne Dedman. Kyle Quinn could become available if New York Knicks don't pick up his option. Amir Johnson. There's a lot of quality names. Uh, Fletcher even mentioned David West, I know, the other day, who it sounds like he's going to be leaving Golden State because they want to get younger. So I don't think it's going to be problematic uh, filling in. You know, we're only going to need to get a guy that can handle that role for maybe 20 to 25 minutes, and that's not going to be a problem. They're not going to seek out Preston, somebody to replace all of DeMarcus's minutes of, say, 30 on upwards because they've – if DeMarcus goes, there's no doubt in my mind that Anthony Davis is going to see most of his minutes at center. And we saw how successful it was last year. And uh, on top of, like I said, the salary cap, they just don't have the money for it. It's kind of an, a luxury for the team to try and get a really good center. So they're not going to get that, you know, sign that big name, big contract. They'll just fill in with some minutes of whoever's left over, like towards the end of free agency is what I'm expecting. Just pluck somebody off for a good deal. Now, Kevin, Ali made a really good point in that the way the NBA is trending right now, we're seeing in in crunch time minutes and playoff minutes, uh, guys who typically play the three, the four are sliding to the five position. Those guys being, of course, Anthony Davis and Draymond Green and P.J. Tucker, among others. But we also see over the course of an 82 game season, they, they try to keep that Hampton lineup. Or, or death lineup, so to speak, uh, from keeping Draymond at that position. They throw in bodies like uh, Kevon Looney and JaVale McGee and Zaza Pachulia, I think started probably 50 or 60 games during the regular season and then uh, didn't play hardly a minute in the playoffs. So who is your candidate during the regular season to kind of soak up some of those minutes and kind of take some of those beatings? Well, I mean, you got to think that the Pelicans' main priority is going to be a, a wing 
Um, so that's going to be their number one target in free agency. Then after that, you know, I'm sure they're going to hope that Czech Diallo can give them quality minutes there for one thing. But if we're looking at the outside market, uh, one free agent who I've always loved, who is going to be a free agent, and I think we could get him for, you know, a relatively low price tag, if not the minimum, is Ed Davis, who very athletic, long guy, can run the floor, rebounds well, defends pretty well. Doesn't give you much offensively, but he's very efficient offensively. He, you know, only takes the shot that he knows he can make. He just put backs, dunks, and things right at the rim. Um, another guy, you know, that I always love too, Kyla Quinn, of course, um, could become available, um, who does a lot of the sort of things that uh, DeMarcus Cousins does. Obviously not as good as DeMarcus Cousins does, but he defends a little bit better. He He's a good rebounder. He's a good mid-range shooter. And he's a really good underrated facilitator with the basketball. So he would be a good fit. And then I also love Rashawn Holmes uh, in um, Philly. They just picked up his qualifying offer, but that doesn't mean much. You can possibly, uh, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent. So you could possibly sign him and they won't match or maybe work out, uh, you know, a trade between the two teams because they do have a lot of big men there. But I think the Pelicans are going to hope that Diallo – uh, rises to the occasion and then look for, you know, a guy that's not going to make that much money because, again, at the end of the day, we saw the success of Anthony Davis and Miritich, and they played Miritich a lot at center. Um, so, um, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of that, and they're going to roll that back if Boogie does walk. Obviously, we're probably bringing back Boogie, and if we aren't, there is also the the possibility of the sign and trade. So a lot of this conversation is just for fun. Although the Pelicans might still be able to use, utilize that mid-level exception, uh, depending upon uh, what agreement they come to with DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, So should we keep on with that line? Yeah, I I, want to explore this further. Um, Ali, Rajon Rondo signed, uh, I think pretty much at the biannual rate, although he was soaking up dollars from the mid-level. Do you think he sits around that number again, or do you think he wants more? It's, I think he's going to be the type where it's all going to depend on the pieces damp spring. So if, let's say, DeMarcus comes back or they're really tied up against that luxury tax once again, I think Rondo will be willing to accept something less than what he normally would. Uh, don't forget, last year he made something over $6 because the Chicago Bulls owed him a guaranteed, was it, $3 million roughly or so, to just let him out of that contract. And then, of course, he signed with the, the Pelicans for like 3.2 or whatever it was, 3.3. So you got to remember, it's not like he just made $3 million last year. He made 6.3. So to ask him to take a pay cut, basically cut it in half, uh, that's really hard to envision. Um, I personally think the number is going to be above what the Pelicans can resign with his uh, um, non-bird rights or early bird rights. I forget which one it is off the top of my head, but it's one where they can't, up his salary too much where he, I think he would have to um, accept a deal for, I want to say around 4 million next year. Yeah. As where the Pelicans cool. wouldn't have to resign him with one of the exceptions where they could just use that early bird rights to resign. But if he, if he goes over that amount, then of course he has, the Pelicans have to dip into one of those exceptions. And that's problematic. As we've just stated, Kevin is spot on. The Pelicans need uh, some kind of another wing, uh, preferably a two way player, but somebody with some length, and that can shoot the ball. That's the number one priority. So if Rondo suck and say four plus million from the mid level, that's going to be at most around eight point six. Suddenly, I don't like the Pelicans' chances of landing. You know, kind of a game changer, kind of a guy you trust to finish games um, with a finishing five. You know that that quality just isn't out there. So you really hope that Rondo accepts, like I said, that smaller salary. But Preston, the only way that's going to happen, like I said, is if if Demarcus Cousins coming back, or maybe the Pelicans are signing some other big name or getting him through a sign trade, whatever the case may be. But if there's no reason for Rondo to take a pay cut, an absolute gigantic reason, then no, I don't think he's going to accept just, oh, I'm still going to be good-natured and a good person about it and just, you know, accept $3 million. NBA players don't do that, Preston, nor should they. Kevin, to continue with this line of thinking, obviously if the Pelicans are in a position to utilize the entire mid-level exception, like Ali said, it'll be tough for them to really get anything of note if they only have, let's say, four of the 8.8 million remaining of it if they give, say, uh, four to Rajon Rondo. So with that being said, would you expect 
Dell Dems to use what's left over of the mid-level exception? Or do you think he holds it over throughout the course of the season, anticipating some kind of uh, potential trade or maybe even trade deadline maneuver? The Pelicans do have uh, expiring contracts in the form of Alexis Agensa. And of course, they're going to try to move Solomon Hill at some point in the season. Do you think Demps just holds on to that money at that point? I don't think he holds on to the money because I think you got to ride this momentum and you got to uh, continue to instill faith, not especially if Boogie were to walk, um, because now you you let an all star walk away, and so you need to replace that productivity. Um, so I think you're going to see him look to spend money because you can also still trade uh, Alexia Jensa and Etwan Moore or. Solomon Hill at the trade deadline, even if you spent that money and, you know, um, to, to get even better. So I, I think they're going to, you know, use, use up that mid-level um, and uh, try to find them a wing that can be productive and can be effective and sort of change the game for them because we haven't had that wing, you know, since Jamal Mashburn really. Um, so um, yeah, I think he's going to roll the dice and go all in. All right. And I did mention Mr. Bogus with a question, LeBron to the Pelicans question mark. So thank you for his question. Uh, This one is from Solomon Ali. And of course, it's in reference to that Jamel McMillan uh, post on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Obviously, he's got uh, a lot of high regard for Quinn Cook. And the two of them spent two off seasons together, including the most previous uh, summer league last year, where Quinn Cook averaged something uh, around uh, 20 to 25 points a game, really showed out and, of course, was promptly cut. Uh, at the end of training camp so that the Pelicans could bring in Jameer Nelson. I guess that was more uh, relatively tied to Jordan Crawford. But around that same time, Solomon's question, Ali, is do you think the Pelicans look bad by letting Quinn Cook go after seeing him win a championship? Um, I guess to the non-fan, that's how you would look at the situation. Hey, they let go a guy that helped the uh, best team in the league win a championship, filled in uh, big minutes for when Steph Curry was hurt. But no, that, I, that's not the right take at all. Because uh, in this day and age, the salary cap is everything to teams, you know, and especially for smaller markets. Uh, the, the Pelicans aren't worth, what is it? I think they're worth around $900 million to a billion, and that, that, that's dead last in the NBA. So you've got to take in all these factors. We're a small market. We, we barely uh, um, fill out the uh, stadium. Um, there's all sorts of things you've got to factor. So when it comes down to, uh, you know, setting all these contracts – and you see all these needs, and you're already up against the luxury tax, developing players while they're young, while you like them, and obviously the Pelicans did because, you know, they brought Quinn Cook, what was it? They signed him a couple 10-day contracts, and they signed him to uh, a contract at the end of the year. They had him play and lead their Las Vegas team. So they they trusted this guy to uh, spend a lot of time on him, but again, they, they just weren't in that position, Preston, um, to keep him. You know, they needed, with Rajon Rondo getting hurt, that really hurt at the start of the year. Um, and what was it before that? Um, they, they, yeah, we were just lacking a, a, a backup point guard. Oh, and this is what I've been meaning to say, is if you guys remember in Summer League, Quinn Cook didn't look like the guy that we saw over the final month and a half of the regular season. Although he still put up the nice numbers. Uh, you know, he was averaging, what, 20-some points, making some threes. Uh, I know that Preston, you and I particularly noted it because we did some of these uh, podcasts over the summer, and I saw that his defense wasn't up to par. You saw that decision-making wasn't quite there. And then uh, it also showed for the Golden State Warriors at the start of this year, he got some minutes, uh, some, you know, they, they weren't big minutes or anything, but he got some time on the floor, and, you know, he didn't look good in those either. That's why he spent a lot of time with their D-League team. So simple fact is he wasn't ready. He was a young guy who wasn't ready, but Golden State – had that luxury of, you know, hanging on to him because they didn't need their full roster of 15 guys. They, you know, they're so deep and so talented with, like, the top eight that they have, like, space to play around with. And the Pelicans were not in the same, same shoes. So it's unfortunate, and I hate it to death because I thought Quinn Cook was a definite rotation player in this league. I remember writing about uh, how his uh, shooting was going to translate. He was going to be a big-time uh perimeter shooter for any team he plays out there and of course that's something every team needs so it pains me to say it and I predicted I really thought he had a future but you can't hold a grudge against the Pelicans they had to do what they had to do at the time they just couldn't hang on to him because there were there were other holes that they need to address first 
Kevin, I think this comment more speaks to the Pelicans' really uh, lack of an ability or history of developing young talent. Of course, they have uh, Frank Jackson and Czech Diallo who are slated to play in the Summer League, and we're all anxious to watch them in person, might I add. Uh, With that being said, how important is it to you that the Pelicans utilize the second-round pick, first of all, and begin developing some kind of farm system for these guys who can eventually not only be able to contribute but alleviate uh, some of the some of the calorie uh, salary cap space that's being filled right now by veterans like you know DeAndre Liggins, Emeka Okafor, Jordan Crawford. Get some young talent in there and, and possibly build some some positive young assets. How important is that? And do you think the Pelicans will focus on that this offseason, Kevin? Uh, it's very important, and it just also depends on the structure of the roster going forward. It depends on the the main moves at the top. Um, and what kind of space you have left at the bottom. Um, Because one thing that we should all look at too, is that, you know, Alvin Gentry just signed an extension. We can all pretty much assume that Del Demps also signed one. So now there's a level of security for them to be able to do those things where before they really couldn't because they needed to have every piece be able to contribute because not only were they uh, coaching and GMing for their jobs, they also were dealt, uh, you know, some heavy blows injury wise where they had to have serviceable bodies that they could trust and rely on to go in there. We got pretty lucky last year with, with health. I mean, obviously we lost the Marcus cousins, which was a huge blow. Um, but other than that, you know, Anthony Davis was healthy. Drew holiday was healthy. Miritich was healthy when he was, once he got here, um, Rondo missed some time at the beginning, but he was pretty much healthy throughout the year. Etwan Moore, I think played every game. Um, so, you know, we were a little bit in a better situation and we made that run this year to to get those guys that job security that they deserved. Um, So now I think you might see them uh, if they can't secure veterans that they know are going to contribute and be impactful, save some spots for guys to develop that they hope can make that, that leap and uh, start forming them out because also just having cheap guys that can give you minutes when you have a top heavy roster with huge salaries um, is very important. So, you know, we all got to hope that Frank Jackson can be um, at least what Ian Clark was for us this year and hope that Jack Diallo can make the next step because we won't have uh, many of those guys on low-level contracts unless we can lure in some, you know, some veterans that think that this is a team that can compete and will take less money to play here. All right, Ali, I'm going to ask you one more question before I get to a, a fun, another one from Ralph. And uh, it's it's something that we've talked about at nauseum uh, about Mrs. Gail Benson paying into the luxury tax. And should DeMarcus Cousins return, uh, they're almost going to have to. Uh, in terms of acquiring outside talent via trade, of course, they could always just match salary. But if it gets to a point where Demps is able to acquire somebody who can improve the roster and it does put them into the tax and approaching the apron, do you think it's something that they pull the trigger on at this point? I think so. I think that they have to, um, you know, there's, there's a couple ways to answer this question. One thing that I do want to mention first off is that there's a chance that the salary cap, not next year, but it's probably going to be going up and not enough people are talking about this yet, but you know, there's a Supreme court decision recently about the gambling and how they actually found it legal. Well, guess what? The NBA, all the major league professional sports associations, they want a cut of that. And the NBA wants like 1%. If that was to happen, guys, we would see another huge spike in the cap. So I almost feel like you have to approach this thinking with, all right, so say you hit the luxury tax next season. Chances are, I don't think it would be a repeater. You wouldn't have to worry about repeating simply because there's probably, I mean, it sounds like if it's not, you know, overturned in the appellate court, I'm not sure exactly where this judgment sits. If it's, and maybe it's already completely official, I don't know. But it, let's say if it is, then, you know, you can almost expect another spike to be coming in maybe a couple of years. So, you know what? You don't really care about paying the luxury tax that first year because it's not that, you know, it's not that penal. So that's one way I look at. But, of course, the other way is from a winning standpoint. When you're that close, when you were, you know, you had beaten, taken a game off the Golden State Wars, but everybody felt like they should have had at least two. And, you know, you didn't have the Marcus Cousins. You didn't really have um really good help off the bench there was a lot of players struggling like you know everybody's talking about Darius Miller whoever else they weren't in good form so if you could just add to what we saw towards the end of last season you don't know where that team could go maybe they could make it to the say the conference final so you almost have to take that step take that chance anyway so 
overall, press to answer your question. Yeah, I think they should, for, and it shouldn't be too picky. Um, yeah, you don't want to go over the luxury tax for some uh, replacement level player, but for anybody above that, yeah, for how, considering how hard it is to find talent, if Dems has the opportunity, he should go for it. And I don't think you should worry about that luxury tax too much. And there's other options, of course. Uh, stretching Alexis Agensa saves them around $4 million and spreads that over the course of four or five years. And then, of course, you can assemble some players with, with Agensa if you don't stretch him and Solomon Hill, like an Evan Fournier, Terrence Ross, Jonathan Simmons. Uh, I, I've been talking about Tobias Harris a lot. Uh, Robin Lopez, if you want somebody. I don't think they should spend that much money on him, but maybe if it's a sweetheart deal, you never know. Courtney Lee, TJ Warren, Alec Burks, Mo Harkless, Marcus Morris is somebody in Boston uh, who might might be relegated to to the bench to becoming a 10th or, or, or potentially 11th man with the way that Jason Tatum uh, played, Jalen Brown played, Gordon Hayward being reinserted into the lineup. Uh, so you never know. Uh, Demps might not have to go into the luxury tax threshold. But with that being said, uh, Kevin, why don't you continue on on this? Do you want to keep and, – and this is something that I asked earlier, but I really think that – if, if the Pelicans make a trade at this point in the season, they're not going to get the appropriate value that they could potentially get if they wait until the trade deadline. And I've, I've mentioned this at nauseum that teams like the Milwaukee Bucks, the Portland Trailblazers, the Washington Wizards, the Toronto Raptors, there's a lot of teams out there who are going to be looking to cut salary uh, come February, uh, specifically if they're not contending for a championship at that point. Somebody is going to be the beneficiary of talent at a cheap cost. Do you think that it's something the Pelicans should wait for in terms of trade, not necessarily in paying salary now, which is what I asked you earlier, but in terms of offloading guys like Etwan Moore, Solomon Hill, Alexis Agensa, do you think that the smart thing to do is to wait? Um, that's a tough question to answer because it all depends on what's available, you know, right now. If there's something that's available that makes sense, go for it and don't don't worry about what could happen. But, you know, the Dell Demps is a guy who obviously always operates around the trade deadline and he usually comes away with something that really helps the team. Um, and even if he does something now, I think he would probably still have a move up his sleeve around that time anyway to add a little bit more. But I mean, it's, 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 it's tough to have it as a black and white issue because, you know, if you could, if you can get um, a three and D wing is something you've, needed a guy who can make plays uh on the wing um you know or or the right kind of depth that you need um some bigger bigger players for the backcourt um whatever you know whatever it is that they think is the most important thing and they have a guy that fits that mold and he's ready to come now why wait to get out of the gate um and risk somebody else jumping in and taking that guy or just you stumbling out of the gate or acquiring them later on and then having to integrate them and then chemistry issues and all of that. If you can start, you know, in a perfect world, you would love to start with your roster and ride it all the way through. But that being said, every year in the off season teams think that they're better than they are and can, can compete. So um, there's a lot of false hope out there that also makes deals tougher to make. Whereas, like you said, you know, if somebody's 30 and 20, I mean, sorry, 20 and 30 around the deadline, then they might be looking to start dumping some salary and you can pick up a quality player or two there. So I don't, I mean, you know, it's kind of a non-answer, but I, I just, it, it's not really a thing that you can just say yes or no to, I don't think. Ollie, don't kill me for this. I don't want to get you <laughs> riled up. Um, with the precarious situation the Pelicans are in in terms of salary, and should they bring back DeMarcus Cousins, obviously that would probably relegate Nikola Miritich to the bench, even if he does start. Here's the situation they find themselves in. They can't extend him now uh, due to the contract he signed. Uh, it was a one-on-one -one with the second year, I think, being a team option. So there's there's no eligibility to extend him now. They have to wait to the summer when he is an unrestricted free agent. He's making $12.5 million this year, which is an easily movable contract if they want to assemble talent somewhere else. He's never played more than 27 minutes per game, and at that rate, he scored 16 points, 7.5 rebounds. So if he does play for the Pelicans next season at, let's say, 35 minutes per game, you would have to expect those numbers to spike somewhere around let's say 19 and nine, which is going to earn him a pretty handsome uh, four or five year deal, either with the Pelicans or on the open market. If the Pelicans bring back to Marcus Cousins, do they have to explore trading Nikola Maritich? No, because my expectation is that DeMarcus is going to be signed to something short 
uh, for two reasons. One, nobody's going to offer him anywhere close to the max. And two, he's going to be eligible for the super max in two years' time. So he's going to be signing on to something short. And then my expectation is, guys, is that the Pelicans are going to resign him, but they're going to look to possibly move him uh, before the trade deadline. Unless, of course, the Pelicans are playing really well and things are going smoothly. And, you know, you know, it's basically a fairy tale story kind of season going on. But if, it, if it's a continuation of what we saw last season, where the Pelicans really were almost a 500 team and they didn't catch that, you know, that, what is it? They won seven of eight games to get about six games over 500 before he got hurt. Um, if they don't experience anything like that, then I think you've got to uh, look to the future. And Nikola Meritich, as you just described, he's, he's a very good player, um, borderline all-star player to me. And I don't look at what the Chicago Bulls did. I don't understand their management. I never have with Jim Paxson running the show. And uh, the management's always been questionable over there. So the fact that, you know, he wasn't seeing starter-like minutes, that doesn't mean a damn thing to me. We saw with our own eyes what this guy can do on both ends of the floor. And uh, this is including that pretty long slump he went through. Uh, So, no, Preston, to answer your question, I think that if DeMarcus Cousins is resigned, you definitely do not have to make a move on Nikola Miritich. I think that the future, honestly, unless, like I said, unless DeMarcus Cousins bounces back and shows that he's that capable 20 and was a 26 and 13 guy and he's got no problems with his Achilles and the Pelicans are winning then of course that changes things but I'm not expecting that to happen so Nikola Miritich right now is like the next best bet that they've got in their you know two what is it in the bush <laughs> whatever that damn phrase is um <laughs> and so no I, I would definitely not look to trade him now simply because of whether DeMarcus would stay or go what about you Kev yeah, I wouldn't trade him. I just think, um, you know, you need three big men. Um, you need to, especially with Cousins coming back, you know, from injury, he's probably not going to play back-to-backs. He's probably only going to, you know, he's probably going to have minute restrictions. Um, and uh, it also allows you to have a lot of versatility in um, your lineups. You know, you can stagger them. You can uh, use those guys all together at some stretches if you want to get real big. Um you know, you can see who's pairing up uh, with who and and uh, make it work that way. So, I mean, I'm, I don't really like trading away really good players. And I think Nikola Miritich is a really good player. Um, I mean, if you're getting, if you needed to trade him to get Paul George or to get LeBron James or something like that, obviously, yes, go for it. But um, otherwise, unless there's something that is super valuable, I just think he can bring a lot to this team. Preston, let me ask you this. How replaceable is Nikola Miritich in your eyes for the New Orleans Pelicans, regardless of what Cousins does? His talent, him wanting to be here, his connection with his teammates, all the above, and then, of course, his fit with Anthony Davis. I'm just curious, how replaceable is he as to where you think it's a good trade, which, I mean, I'm not trying to argue against your logic or anything, but it makes a lot of sense, too. He's got a lot of value. But, again, looking longer term, how good of an idea is it because there's replacements sitting out there? You're not going to get equal value in return. That's not what I'm what I'm questioning here. Uh, it's something that we've seen Danny Ainge and Greg Popovich do in previous seasons. You, you have to play the long game at this point because this is what gets teams like the Toronto Raptors, the Milwaukee Bucks into financial prison. And it's 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 not thinking ahead and getting caught into a situation where you have to give guys so much money that you you can't fill out the bottom of your roster. You're giving three to four guys, you know, 20 to 30 million dollars a year. And at that point, if they're good enough, if you think your team is good enough with those three to four players to fill out with veteran minimum guys, then of course you do it. You know, if you're in a situation like the Golden State Warriors, uh, let's say, and you've got top level talent in those four positions. But if you don't, you have to think about the long-term ramifications of giving four guys on your squad $25 million a year or more. And that's the position the Pelicans might find themselves in next summer. And if they mm-hmm. don't take that risk and give Nikola Meritich four years and $80 million, well, then they they lose him for nothing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a conversation that I think is worth having uh, if you're bringing DeMarcus Cousins back. If you're letting DeMarcus Cousins go, then of course I think the Pelicans should hang on to Nikola Meritich, and he's the perfect ideal frontcourt partner for Anthony Davis, specifically in crunch time minutes and in playoff minutes. We saw how well they they fared together on the court, so I definitely think that he has a place in New Orleans. I know how much they love him, and I know what a great player he can be. Like you said, he has all-star level talent and production on both ends of the floor, but with that being said, 
the Pelicans need to be able to keep some kind of flexibility because when you have four guys making $20 million a year, there's just nothing you can do. You, you find yourself in a situation where you're going to have to start offloading picks like the Houston Rockets, like the Washington Wizards, and you don't want to be caught in that, in that spot. You want to have some of those, of those players making between six to $15 million so that when you need to make a trade, you can, you do have those movable pieces. Uh, you don't want to be that top heavy. And that's, that's the only point I'm trying to make. Obviously they're not going to get uh, residual talent for him, specifically the fact that he's an expiring, nobody's going to want to give up, you know, multiple for, first round picks for a guy they're going to have to give $80 million to in the summer. So that's, that's the whole point of the conversation. Is there, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I just wanted to say, Preston, I see where our difference is, and it's it's really simple. It's the fact that I think Nikola Mirtis is one of the best players in the league at what he can do, what he provides at his size, at his position. That's where I think you still have doubt about it. That's where I, I think you don't see that he may not meet that 16 to $20 million um, salary where it, it, it's valuable to the team uh, to where it, it's more of a hindrance. Um, I'm sold on the guy. That's why I feel like I'm going all in on him. Uh, and I think that's just the difference between us. So it, it's that simple. I think I've seen his numbers. I've seen the way he plays with the team. And wow, they, they were, and that's why I always talked about that buzzsaw thing. Cause they were, when he joined the team and, and he finally started knocking down some shots, they were unbeatable. So I think that's what I'm hanging on to. Maybe I'm, that's why I'm at, you know, at fault, I guess, because I'm putting too much, um, you know, impotent or whatever. I'm focusing too much on, that little small sample size, but I think there was enough of a glimpse. We saw enough of everything else we've just mentioned to where I think he, you know, you can sign him for that money because he would be that third player. So I can see it. Uh, Let me just, and, and, and this isn't what I'm alluding to at all. Of course, in 10 games in February, he shot just 28% from three and 39% from the field. And in March, 38% from the field, uh, a little bit better from three at 33%. That was a confidence issue. That's not what I'm referencing here. All I'm referencing is that when you have four guys making that much money, there's, there's, you have to pay somebody. That's all. I'm I'm, I'm making the argument where I think his values there and you don't see it. That's all that that's all the differences. I do think the value's there. I just don't think at this point with what Drew and AD are making, you can pay both he and DeMarcus Cousins $50 million a year combined. Does that make sense? Sure. Sure. Okay. Kevin, anything you want to add to that? Yeah. All right, cool. Let's move (laughs) along. Uh, This is from Ralph Malbro. Got it now. Uh, Ali, don't get fired. Who is the, or I'll start with Kevin, actually. Let's give, uh, let's give Ali a break. Who is the NBA Twitter personality or talking head that you want to push into an elevator shaft? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm trying to be a lot more diplomatic and open-minded lately. Um, And not uh, take much to heart. Uh, I mean, it's pretty easy to to hate Skip Bayless. So I'm going to just say Skip Bayless. That guy is pretty terrible and just i don't know i just felt like the whole format of the show that he's been on like i mean i know he moved to fs1 but it started with espn just the whole format of that show just seemed like it was like white man yells at black man black man yells at white man and it was just like a bad marketing thing to just create tension and argument and uh and just to be negative and i just think that that is a bad shtick it's a bad uh move it's bad for our society and i just think those kind of shows or or i think they're fake because i think those guys don't actually have those opinions most of the time it's an act that they're playing and i just think it creates bigger problems subconsciously in people than um we see so i'm gonna go uh with skip bayless (laughs) Ollie, before I get to you, I'm going to try to protect you. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to give a name. I'm going to more attack an idea that that certain writers, and I'm sure we're all guilty of it, uh, headline chasing and, and clickbaiting and that sort of thing. But there was one article that particularly uh, grinded my gears, so to speak, and it was following the death of our owner, Tom Benson. And of course, we all remember it well by now, the, the picture of the empty arena And the article was titled, The Pelicans Are Staying in New Orleans, But For How Long? Just immediately following his death, uh, 
it, it seemed that little to no research. Well, there was research done, but the research seemed to affect what the Pelicans and the Saints have been facing in previous years. It wasn't necessarily up to date. And we saw all the news that followed after that was one of solidarity uh, between Gail Benson with both the NBA and the NFL. So it was just something that seemed like it it almost felt like it was attacking the city of New Orleans uh, with its premise. But I, I won't attack a name uh, because he is a good writer. Um, but with that being said, Ali, where are you on this? Oh, man, I, I, I'm i going to go McNamara style here in a second because I really don't care. Look, there's a bunch <laughs> of people. I don't want just one. I want a whole slew of people going down that elevator shaft. Starting with anybody from Boston that thinks AD can be had for peanuts. All right. Go ahead and send $5 million down the elevator shaft right there. And then I, I got to attack these national media types that I got in a few arguments with over the uh, summer. And then you've got these guys like Nick Wright, who I guess that's his name. He's now the big talking head for Fox Sports, FS1. I don't even know what he does, but I just know he has a lot of opinions that people seem to follow. Like, for instance, he was early in the year, either AD or Boogie going to Cleveland for like J.R. Smith or something. So please throw him down head first. And then, you know, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, there's a lot of key national guys that just, you know, draw my ire. And I remember even talking to Mac about like Nate Duncan. I mean, he may be a great guy and he watches a lot of games. I get that. But a lot of these guys act like they know each team personally. And then when you listen to them talk or do a podcast on your team in preseason and you know they don't have they have no clue what's going on. They really don't or they don't care. It's one of the two. But either way, it's, it's just bad. So, you know, all those types, you know, just send them on down as well. So, yeah, Preston, I could keep talking. And uh, Ralph, if you want some more names, hit me up in DM because I'll give them to you. <laughs> Ralph, if we all get fired, uh, you know who to blame, sir. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. That's all the time we have today. Thank you guys again so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we know there's not a lot of news right now in terms of player development or games. So thank you for spending your summer with us. Also, please make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Don't just click this link. Make sure you find us on one of those formats because then you can press subscribe. And even if you don't listen to every episode, it helps pad our numbers. So uh, go ahead and help us with that. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Ollie, anything on the docket for you, sir? Um, I'm going to try and write something about what I just mentioned about this possible next explosion coming a lot sooner or that nobody saw coming simply because of this ruling by the Supreme Court where suddenly the NBA is primed to get a huge influx of profit of money in, uh, and throw it in the salary cap. So I think that's huge and how teams should possibly approach uh, future planning. And I'm probably going to write something uh, about Nikola Miritich now that I've just traded him uh, off the Pelicans <laughs> roster. I really do think he is a dark horse candidate for most improved player for a lot of the reasons that I just mentioned. He's just going to play more minutes and he's going to have a more significant role. Even if DeMarcus Cousins comes back, you'd have to think he's going to start out with a minutes restriction. And that's going to be a great opportunity for Nikola Miritich to put up some numbers in a contract year. Kevin, what about you, sir? Well, um, like I said, I'm starting, uh, you know, various off-season plans. Uh, the first one was sign-and-trade approach to Boogie, which I thought was just going to be one piece, which was the, you know, the trade to the Wizards with the following deal with Orlando and then some other small deals that could fill out the rest of the roster. And then I did the one, um, a new version of that where it involved Memphis. So I'm getting back to what was supposed to be my next piece, which will be um, if the Pelicans re-sign Boogie how to build a roster around that. And then there'll be another piece if Boogie walks, um, how to build the roster. Um, and then I have to take a break from writing about basketball to write about um, the tour I just went on with uh, two bands from New Orleans up the West Coast. And then after that, we will, us three, will be going to um, Vegas for Summer League together. And I think I'm going to leave the technical analytical stuff to you guys to write and i might just approach that as writing us another kind of tour diary but just uh, us hmm. in vegas doing stuff and that kind of thing like that. yeah oh i forgot all about that we're gonna be on vacation but i guess we're still gonna have to write things right ollie nah Preston, you gotta do that <laughs> we love you that much <laughs> all right you guys thanks so much for listening uh and we will talk to you guys soon uh again follow ollie at ollie cosell at Kevin B for Bounce, at Preston Ellis, and make sure to follow all three of us at thebirdrights.com. Let's go, pals.
We hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and Nothing But Nut here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel, act on it, and make them feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com slash xm. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.